Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. The search for Solskjaer's successor is on. Manchester United on the hunt for Oli's replacements after his sacking at the weekend could that man be Maurizio Pochettino? Suggestions flying about that the PSG boss is ready to quit his post in Paris right now and return to the Premier League. Would the ex-Spurs boss be the right choice for one of the biggest jobs in the game? At the moment, Michael Carrick is in temporary charge at United. His first task, a tricky Champions League test on the road at Villarreal. A win could secure passage to the knockout stages. No such turbulence at Chelsea though when it comes to recent games. They take on a Juventus side tonight in the group stages who beat them in the reverse fixture. Just how far will the Blues go to defending their European crown this term? And from the European stage to the international one, Gareth Southgate has penned a contract extension to remain as England boss until 2024. We'll discuss all of that right here on the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the season. This is Football Social Daily. Thanks for joining us on the show. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode. As soon as a new one is released, you'll be notified straight away. My name's Niall McCorn and joining me today to go through all the action, we've got Sports Social's Joel Tudor. How are you feeling this morning, Joel? I'm feeling more and more optimistic by the day. <laughs> Pochettino's the latest name that's been thrown around. How do you feel about that? We'll come on to it in more detail in a sec, but just a few initial thoughts. Um, I'm absolutely over the moon, to be honest, and we'll get into it, but the time is beautiful, put it that way. (laughs) Well, Maurizio Pochettino actually will be flying into Manchester today, and that's only because his PSG side are playing City tomorrow. And someone who's looking forward to the weekend more than most, Marley Anderson, as the countdown is on to his wedding day. How are you feeling, Marley? Any nerves yet? Uh, no nerves just yet, no. Uh, just uh, just a lot of planning. And then Friday night will come and my arse will drop and uh, I'll start... Uh... <laughs> is that for the Newcastle game or...? Hey, we'll put, uh, I've already wrote this one off. I'm, I think on about the right time so the wedding's at two so I think I'll be doing my speech as we as Arsenal score their third and fourth goals against us at the weekend <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll check my phone this and be is... like oh for god's sake right, here we go again would you rather someone objects to your wedding or Newcastle lose to Sunderland <laughs> ha, uh... <laughs> That's taken you a lot longer to answer that question than it should do. <laughs> I know. I hope your missus isn't looking for you listening to uh, this one. Yeah, that, if you changed it to relegation, it'd be a really hard choice. Um, but yeah, anyone says anything during the ceremony, they're getting told to shut up. Well, best of luck for the weekend. With that being said. Steve Bruce will storm in, won't he? How's the bacon did you say? <laughs> Oh, who's invited him? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, Steve Bruce, funnily enough, is one of the names that was linked on social media yesterday to the Manchester United job, believe it or not. Interim is the word going around at the moment when it comes to proceedings at Old Trafford. United are looking to appoint someone to take charge until the end of the season before they go for someone permanent in the summer. At least that's what the club statement said 
when it was announced that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would be leaving his post as the manager of Manchester United. The search for Solskjaer's successor is on and the most recent reports claim that Maurizio Pochettino is the man who's in pole position to take up those reins. Whether that's on a six-month deal or a longer deal remains to be seen, but several sources suggesting that Pochettino is ready to quit PSG now to join Manchester United. Now, we spoke about it on yesterday's podcast. PSG are currently clear at the top of Ligue 1. It's very, very likely that Pochettino will pick up his first trophy as a manager by winning the league with PSG if he stays in Paris. But a lot of noises are suggesting, Marley, that he's ready to throw the towel in in France and come back to the Premier League. Of course, he used to manage Tottenham Hotspur. What, what are your thoughts on the whole Maurizio Pochettino situation at the moment? Uh, I I understand it's, it's uh, a big opportunity, um, so I can understand sort of why he would be tempted. However, the timing is is really strange. Um, I think if these reports are to be believed, um, and that you know he's ready to drop his uh, tools in the middle of a middle of a season, I just don't really understand why you would do that. Because, like like I mean like we say, we're he's eleven points clear at the top. Um, he somehow managed to finish second in a one-horse race last last season to Lille. Um, so this would be his first ever big thing he's won in his management career. So he's never won a league before. He's got a few runners-up, cups. Um, and other than that, if you go back through his whole career, I think the last thing he won was uh, was was it uh, back in Argentina. No, so he's, he's it, got the French cup. He got the French cup last year. So well, that, that's that's what I mean. Like it, that doesn't count. Like it's just that's what do you mean like, it doesn't count? <laughs> it just doesn't count because he won it in like his first game. Like he, it was the French Super Cup, and then he won, and then he won the French. Yeah, but the French Cups like our equivalent of the oh, FA Cup, when you, isn't it? Well, when you're PSG, not not really. The two big trophies now are a league title and a Champions League or a European title. I mean, even the Europa League, you could argue, isn't considered as prestigious, and that disappoints me because. As I always bang about on this show, I'm a big fan of the FA Cup, but I think it's just reality now, Marley, isn't it? That, you know, the major trophies are league titles and Champions Leagues, and that's kind of what people are measured on these days. You know, you can win a million League Cups and 10 FA Cups, but no one seems to care as much. Yeah, because, I mean, especially that's that that's amplified at PSG as well. You know, the team that literally expects to win things, but, you know, he's won, he's won the Coupe de France. I mean, that's it. And it's like, is is that enough? Like, it, that's probably one of the reasons why PSG aren't that bothered if he goes. I feel like they're not that bothered because they'll try and get Zidane, and then you know everybody's happy then. But I just don't know why you would you would be basically on the verge of winning that title, and then you're always. I think PSG are good enough to always pretty much guarantee themselves a semi final spot in the Champions League because it's they're going to take some knocking out. Um, and then you I just don't know why you drop tools like you might win the Champions League and you might and you probably will win the league so why why leave because Man United are going to win none of those things when you get there and if if they're talking about interim to the end of the season um which seems to be the plan so it seems to be either interim until the end of the season unless we can get Poch now like you should know as Poch that you would you that job that job that opportunity is still going to be there at the end of the season so why not have your cake and eat it? Why not try and stay, win the league, maybe win the Champions League, and then if you're still, you know, turned on by this Man United project, then go for it. But it's always going to be there for him, I think, because it was there when he left Spurs, um, but the job wasn't. Like so, the, the interest was there from him um, when Mourinho uh, left was sacked. Solskjaer got it instead and then you know nearly three years later it's there for him again so you've got to assume that it might be there in six months time as well yeah I mean one of the words you used early on in your summary there Marley was a great opportunity and you know it's not too often that a manager gets to manage a team with players like Messi and Bappe and Neymar which is what Pochettino has got in his squad at PSG at the moment Joel but the reports claiming that he's happy to jack things in in Paris to come to Manchester United does that just show first of all how keen he is to return to England and second of all how big a pull the Manchester United job still is yeah I think for me he's just so 
he doesn't want the opportunity to pass him by again because I, I, I see where Marley's coming from where it probably will be there in six months considering that United's statement was that the keen on bringing in an interim manager until the end of the season which will completely contradict everything they've been kind of planning in the last days if they end up getting Pochettino now but if in six months they end up waiting and kind of assessing all the candidates properly Pochettino isn't kind of a sure fit then because suddenly Brendan Rodgers comes into the equation suddenly Tenard comes into the equation and then there's an even playing field I feel like Pochettino right now especially with if reports are to believe that there's a little bit of conflict and friction within PSG because as we know, Leonardo kind of controls the whole sport inside. You've got uh, Al-Khalifi, the chief who kind of shows his face in every single player, unveiling like there's no control for a manager there at all. And I feel like with Poch, he's seeing this opportunity now as one which if he lets slip right now, he may not have a 100% sure fit of getting it again, particularly if, let's say, his season ends up going down south or United end up thinking, oh, actually, during the season, we think Ten Hag's a better fit or we think Rodgers is a better fit and then that's th- that's it then. Pochettino, where does he go from there? Because I don't, see, I don't think he sees himself at PSG for longer than this season at an absolute maximum. Um, and I don't really think he feels as though winning Lejeune proves much else for him because I mean it's not entirely that difficult to win that division with the money that PSG have I know they lost it last year but let's not forget this is his first full season in in Paris and he's still he's still learning his team he's still learning all these superstars he's got a mold together I mean not every manager's gone there and been completely successful a lot of them get sacked and it doesn't really represent how good of a manager you are Thomas Tuchel got sacked a year ago in yeah, the international exactly. break. and then he went on and when, won the Champions League. So it definitely doesn't put yeah. a mark on a manager if you go there and you get sacked. And actually, in terms of players, PSG have got better players than Tottenham had. And Tottenham was almost a, a step below PSG in terms of the expectations and the quality of players, I think it's fair to say. I, think, I don't think anyone can really argue about that, that PSG is probably a level above Tottenham. Not by a great deal, but certainly a level above and so therefore it's almost a blend of the two isn't it you know it's being experienced in the Premier League and doing great work with a club like Tottenham who had not the greatest squad in the world when he went there and he actually managed to get them to a Champions League final and even in a title race at one stage and now he's got the experience of the other side of it managing a huge club with massive expectation with real big star name players like Mbappe, Neymar and of course Lionel Messi so I definitely think that you don't get the PSG job unless you get it on merit and you know he's not won a trophy as we say but I think obviously he's a great coach so with that in mind what what do you think he will offer Manchester United Marley that makes him the best candidate because we can sit here and say oh he's never won a trophy Uh, it's easy to win Ligue 1 with those players PSG always win the league anyway etc 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 I think that somewhat denigrates his abilities as a coach. We can mention all of these things and all of these accolades that he will achieve or hasn't yet achieved. But when it boils down to the bare bones of it, the reason that he's being considered for this job and other jobs before this is because of how good a manager he is. So what do you think his attributes are that make him possibly one of the best options for the Manchester United job? Well, the thing for me is like, you you know, you raise a good point there. Like he is a good manager despite him, you know, not, that not being reflected in the trophies that he's won, but you know what we seen towards the end with with Solskjaer, you know every time they lost a, a cup game, it was like oh he's never won anything, like he's not he's not won anything as a manager, he's he's failed again, he's he's had eight opportunities or whatever it is to win a semi final or a quarter final and he can't do it. So if if you're a couple of years in, a couple of years into Mourinho um, to Pochettino's spell, you know and he's he loses a, a semi final. At what point to to the Man United fan base, which are a very polarizing at the best of times, um, and almost like bipolar in the sort of we love this guy and now we hate him because he can't get past a quarter final or a semi final, like what at what point does does that start to seep in again and say, well he's he's never won anything and until you get that first one that pressure's always going to be there, and then even if he wins the 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 French league this year and then comes in the summer. It'd be like, well, he's only won League One, and that's it. And can he win the Premier League or the FA Cup or the Europa League or Champions League or whatever Man United are in at that point? Like, it's 
it's still a question there. But in terms of his sort of coaching and his his what makes him Pochettino, then I think he's he brings a lot of what Man United need to the club. I do think he's a, he's a good fit. He's not too abrasive um, like a Mourinho or even a Conte. Um, he brings he's got a good record with with youth players, which obviously ties in with Man United's sort of philosophy quite well. Uh, and he's a good talent spotter, and he is a decent man manager as well. So, all those things are perfect for the Man United job. I think um, it's just a case of going out and getting him. One thing I saw interestingly when it came to Mauricio Pochettino and what he's good at as a manager is the fitness side of things. Now, Gary Neville mentioned something interesting on Sky Sports a few weeks ago, Joel, suggesting that if you look at the statistics, United's running stats are down, their distance covered is down, their intensity is down. I'm not privy to those statistics. I haven't seen them, so I don't know whether what Neville says is true or false. But let's just say that it is true. I also saw another graphic suggesting that some of the hardest working teams in the Premier League when Maurizio Pochettino was in the division last was his Spurs sides. And funnily enough for you, Marley, Eddie Howe's Bournemouth are also quite high ranked in those charts when it comes to distance and running and things like that. So in terms of his attributes, is it getting the players fitter? Is it getting the mentality right? Because there's no doubt from what we've seen from the outpouring after Solskjaer's departure that the players were fond of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It just wasn't working out and that's why the club have decided to make a change. So in your opinion, what would Maurizio Pochettino offer that's different to Solskjaer? Well, I think he's just a shoe fit for the club. He fits every single department of what we're looking for. I mean, I looked at the distance covered stats just um, prior to the podcast and his Tottenham side were constantly the second highest team for distance covered every single season since 2014 and I think that just kind of shows what he demands he knows exactly how he wants his team to set up and I'm not talking in terms of you know mindless pressing which seemed to be Oli Gudasolskar's method at times where he didn't know whether to stick or twist he didn't know whether to sit back he had three players pressing and then the midfielders kind of sitting whereas Solskjaer's more um Pochettino's more of a, you know, cut the passing lanes, recover your positions. It's just the basics that Oli couldn't really work out. And I don't think the players really bought into it. Um, but I think when you look at Pochettino's past, and if you think back prior to Tottenham when he was at Southampton, he's always overachieved no matter what he's been at his disposal. I mean, that Southampton side was some of the best entertainment, some of the most entertaining football. I'm sorry, Niall, I have to say this, but they were the most entertaining team at times. Um, when you look at, like, you know, they had Shaw, Lalana, Schneiderlin, Klein, Wanyama. I would not pay any money to watch any of those players. <laughs> I'm sure. You've just mentioned saying that they're the most entertaining side, but is that from the collective rather than the individuals? Because the names you've mentioned there from that Southampton team. I wouldn't pay money to watch Klein. I wouldn't pay money to watch Lalana. I wouldn't pay a ticket fee to watch Luke Shaw. I mean, is that is that so? Therefore, what Pochettino's good at is the sum of the parts rather than the individuals. It's, yeah, but that's Southampton. Though you need to manage the expectations. Before that, they had Nigel Adkins, and we're kind of flirting with relegation because it's Southampton, and he, he progressed them, which is what really mattered at that at that time. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean. Like half of these players before that season, you would never have ever thought they would progress as much as they did under Pochettino. I mean, Lovren, he got a move to Liverpool out of it. Shaw got a move to United out of it. Lalana to Liverpool. Schneiderlin to United. Like that's not that's not just because they're good players. It's because they got coached incredibly well. Jay Rodriguez nearly got into the World Cup squad um, prior to that really bad injury against City. R- uh, Ricky Lambert got into the England team for a couple of games. Like that shouldn't be est- underestimated of how much. Pochettino can get out of a side and then it, it, it proved itself when he went to Tottenham I mean when you look at the net spend he had 50 million net spend between 2014 and 2019 which is lower than Stoke and West Brom in that period I mean name me a bigger club that can do that and still maintain title challenges and get to a champ like you need, I can't stress this enough but getting Tottenham Hotspur to a Champions League final after not spending anything that summer, is a miracle in itself. Regardless of if you win it or not, Tottenham Hotspur before Pochettino are an absolute mess. Like, they squandered the bail money on seven players, and I think Ericsson was kind of the only one who actually proved his worth, and he was probably the cheapest option. He came into that side and literally made it his own. He made them probably the most attractive team in the Premier League for a good five years, easily. And I know that, trophies are the ones that mark the success but it's a case of this he's, he's he's well on his way 
at, at Paris Saint-Germain, I don't buy into this kind of argument a lot of United fans are saying, which is he's not won anything. Well, if you look at every single credible candidate we could get, yeah, they've won stuff. But if Pochettino was in their leagues, he would have won stuff too. Brendan Rodgers won the Scottish Cup. Do you not think Pochettino would have won that? Or Tanag's won the um, Dutch League. Pochettino would have won that. The difference is Pochettino's made a sustainable side in the Premier League for four years straight and many managers cannot do that. Under the budget that he's had with Daniel Levy, who we know is completely business orientated and he's very smart with his outgoings, that shouldn't be underestimated at all. And I think the Glazers probably see that and will think, well, you know, we don't really like outgoing too much we like we like a manager who can actually work with the players a bit more and I think it's such an attractive proposition for the owners as well because we know he can coach and that's what's been missing for us we don't have a coach yeah I understand that and actually with the players that Manchester United have got at the moment it isn't about budgets or signing players in January it's about squeezing the most juice as possible out of the current group which Solskjaer unfortunately for him wasn't doing just finally on this one then Marley because I'm sure there'll be other names that pop up between now and probably the end of this week. We mentioned the statement when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer departed Old Trafford and that United said Carrick will take charge of this game tonight against Villarreal, which we'll talk about in a second on Football Social Daily. But they also mentioned that they're going to get an interim manager for the remaining months of the season before making a permanent decision in the summer. Do you think they should just get Pochettino and ditch this interim plan? Do you think they should just get Pochettino in if the rumours are true and he's keen to come from Paris immediately and drop everything there and come back to the Premier League to manage Manchester United do you think they should just ditch their interim plan get him in give him six months till the end of the season see what happens and then build from the summer and and, and onwards rather than just get someone in for six months who might not be there in the summer anyway uh, yeah I, I think if the opportunity is there and everything is that we've talked about is true then I don't see why you wouldn't go for it if he's happy to to ditch PSG halfway through a season, then then do it. In my opinion, this whole this whole, oh you know, Carrick's a caretaker. Then there's going to be an interim. Then there's going to be a permanent. Is silly for me. Well, we'll watch that one with interest, as everyone in the football world will be. Manchester United, a huge job, a huge club in the game, and Maurizio Pochettino is the name allegedly in the frame to take over from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Not for tonight, though. That task falls to Michael Carrick, who's been placed in caretaker charge and United travel to Spain to take on Villarreal, the side that beat them in last season's Europa League final, albeit in a Champions League context. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social, part of the Sport Social Podcast Network. If you head to our website, sport-social.co.uk, and you click the podcast tab at the top of the page, you'll find a whole array of different podcasts to get your teeth stuck into. There are loads of different shows to enjoy. Whether you're a fan of any Premier League club, there's something for you there. If you're a cricket fan, you can check out the Analysts podcast, Simon Hughes, former Middlesex cricketer as well. His Analysts podcast is now part of the Sport Social Podcast network loads of great stuff on there as well from a range of different sports so as i say go and check it out on the website the address sport-social.co.uk and just click the podcast tab time to talk champions league now we spoke about Maurizio pochettino and a possible arrival at old trafford before the break but united are on the road tonight they play via real in the champions league group stages an important game for united michael carrick's first game in temporary charge of the club. First and foremost, Joel, Solskjaer is gone. Two days since the Watford debacle where United were beaten 4-1. We know he'll be taking the reins for the time being. Are you expecting an upturn tonight? Because Villarreal have never been an easy nut to crack. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about it just because now the veil's kind of fully lifted as in the players can no longer hide behind the fact that Oli's the manager and he takes the front for everything despite the fact that literally his whole coaching staff are still there. Um, but the the pressure is on them completely now. The spotlight is all on the players because if, if anything goes wrong tonight, you can't blame Michael Carrick for it. You can't blame Darren Fletcher and you certainly can't blame Oli for it because he's gone. Now it's kind of the players to make themselves or show themselves as in they actually are what they say they are and they're not kind of just these players who have started to tail off during the season. 
um it's always we've always struggled with spanish sides away from home i think it's probably the most difficult ties you can go to in any european competition because they just seem to elevate like unbelievably when they play at home villarreal in particular i mean they're not doing incredibly in the league at the moment but in our group at the moment obviously we're top of the table by head-to-head um villarreal second on seven joint with us and then obviously atalanta on five points but obviously if anything went wrong tonight it would mean that villarreal jumped to 10 points atalanta if they beat young boys they go to eight um so it would all fall down to that final game where you have to hope that villarreal wouldn't get a, a, a win against atalanta away so a draw tonight is probably something i would expect i think it's kind of um it's something that is probably Carrick's going to set up to kind of play defensively i think he's going to be very cautious tonight um knowing that a loss is going to put i was going to put i was going to say crazy pressure on Carrick, but he's probably going to be there for about two weeks so it's not really that much pressure at all um so it is an important game it's not the be all and end all if we lose but it does make the last game very very you know it's out of our control then but i do it i don't i don't expect fireworks tonight at all but i do expect the players to raise the game because they know now especially after all these outpouring posts on social media of how much they loved Ollie, etc. Well, let's see how much he did and let's go and prove it on the pitch because for the last two months, they've been absolutely absent. None of them have proven their worth at all. I'd say bar Ronaldo seems to have gotten out. Got, Ronaldo's pretty much put us in the position where we are in the Champions League group after we made a hash of nearly every single game. Um, so I think tonight is going to... I don't see a massive upturn in... You know what? If there is an upturn in performances, then I would bank my absolute everything on Michael Carter getting a three-year contract after it. <laughs> well, you say it's not, you know, critical if United drop points. I think it probably is a little bit more important than people realise. If United win, they can secure qualification. If they lose, then it puts a bit of pressure on that young boys game, which is still to come. Which obviously they were beaten by young boys. They shouldn't lose again to young boys but we said that about the Watford game United shouldn't lose to Watford despite their poor form and they did they were torn apart by Watford particularly in the first half if United go out of the Champions League Marley that is a big blow um, beyond managerial discussions and who should take charge that's that's hugely critical for Manchester United not just from a professional standpoint on the field but also from a financial one off of it and we know just how important both of those things are when it comes to an institution like United. Yeah, massively. Um, they, you know, especially as well after the Leipzig debacle last year when they, um, when they lost to Istanbul and the wheels came off and then they lost to um, Leipzig, I think it was, and ended up in the Europa League. It was, it was something where they, you know, you don't sign Ronaldo to, to be competing in the Europa League. Um, that, you know, the, the spreadsheet, sort of impact it's going to have on them is not one that the powers that be at Man United want you know they're, they're a hugely commercial club and the best clubs need to be playing in the Champions League and they can't they can't balls this up two years in a row um, and expect you know everything to just keep ticking along as it was because pro- I think projections and things will be made off the back of assuming you're going to be in the Champions League so going into tonight I think it's quite a critical day in the in the future of Man United because a draw will be all right because they'll stay ahead of Villarreal or they should do if if it's well, it depends on the result if it if it's a nil nil draw they'll stay ahead of Man United a uh, Villarreal on head to head um results and they'll go into that last game needing to beat young boys which you, sh- you should always do so it's I think it's a case of tonight of just not losing just just don't lose whatever you do um, but as as you've sort of alluded to, it's easier said than done that these days because Watford had a pretty easy time of it and so did uh, Liverpool and Man City in, the, the, in, in recent weeks. And you can even trace the performances back to pretty much the start of the season where, except with the exception of the Leeds game, um, where they were where they looked really good, you can say that they've been poor pretty much all season. So You conveniently left out when they destroyed Newcastle at Old Trafford. Well, but <laughs> Well, that's the thing though. Like we, like looking back on that game, we had so many chances. We you were did, just yeah. useless, just couldn't take them. Like, and the so goal like, you scored was, was very good actually on the counter-attack um, yeah. and exposed Manchester United. Um, but the person who was kind yeah. of your, your bane that day as a Newcastle fan was Cristiano Ronaldo. And he's been clutch, Marley, for United in the Champions League this season. So many late goals, including in the reverse fixture against Villarreal, last-minute winner at Old Trafford. So 
as much as that's enjoyable and there's no better way to win a game than scoring a special goal in the 90th minute, much like he did against Atalanta recently as well. As much as enjoyable as that is for supporters, I guess fans don't want that every week. Sometimes you just want a calmer performance where you just get the job done rather than relying on your star man for something special in the 90th minute every single time. Yeah, I mean, if if you can guarantee a 90th minute winner, then every fan would take it because the jubilation and the, the feeling that comes out of it is fantastic. But, you know, the reality is you can't do that. Um, so you are, yeah, sometimes you do just want a 65, 70% possession, 2-0 home win or away win, wherever you are. So it's, again, everything's easier said than done, I suppose. But, yeah, you don't want to be put through that ringer every time because then you always ask those questions like, uh, you know, is it covering up the cracks? Is is this just delaying the inevitable for another week? Like, and Ronaldo did that against Atalanta and Villarreal um, in the Champions League this season. And he's, like you said, pretty much the reason why Man United is somehow still top of the uh, their group. Well, Manchester United in Spain tonight against the side who beat them on penalties in the Europa League final last season. That's Villarreal and that game important in the context of the group. Chelsea's game against Juventus in their pool match, not quite as important. Juventus are currently top of the table, 12 points with three wins from their three games. Chelsea beaten by Juventus in the reverse fixture. They're on six points, but the other two teams in that group, Zenit St. Petersburg and Malmö, are well behind. So it looks like, Joel, Chelsea are likely to qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League even if they do drop some points to Juventus tonight yeah I think um I think Thomas Tuchel will be looking at that group hoping to actually win it because there are some really good sides that are looking to actually win their groups you know the likes of Bayern Real Madrid Ajax were looking really good um obviously aside from the English clubs um but I think even still there's some really dangerous clubs who are going to be finishing runners-up so you can't really escape this prospect of facing a very good side when you get to the knockouts regardless but obviously it's in their hands they've got uh, Juventus at home which is most definitely a winnable game uh, Juventus's form in the in the in Serie A has started to upturn a little bit considering the last time they played them Juventus were going through a really sticky spell uh, with Allegri but Chelsea still had to go away to Russia in the final game which of course is never an easy prospect uh, although Zenit is only on three points. They've lost three of their group games so far. But it's still in their hands, and I think, obviously, they're on nine points. Juventus are on 12 points. Um, there's very, very fine margins in that group, and, of course, they're going to qualify. It's just a case of whether they, they're determined to actually get to, their, get to the top of their group. But I think, for, I think Tuchel will be 100% looking at that as an opportunity where it could really dictate how their Champions League run actually goes because, like I said, winning their group means they face the prospect of potential Porto or Paris Saint-Germain if they end up coming second, which could be a great game, Inter Milan, uh, Barcelona. So this is what I mean. You can't really escape all of these very good sides. So I think regardless, you need to just aim to win your group because you want to avoid the top, top quality sides at this stage of the competition. Um, And obviously at home, Chelsea have been pretty formidable. Uh, Juventus are coming, like I said, coming into great form at the moment. So I think it'd be a really tricky, tricky game. I think the winner of that will probably take it. But like I said, a prospect going away in Russia against Zenit is always a tricky tie. Um, but you know they're the reigning champions. They'll be looking to win the group. Uh, but it's not the be all and end all if they finish second because I think they have the quality to go further regardless. Yeah, like you say, it's a bit strange that a game with two sides as heavy hitting as Chelsea and Juventus is considered almost a bit of a dead rubber um it's going to be competitive both sides are going to want to finish top as you say Joel but it's not the end of the world or the be all and end all as you say if either side doesn't win this and interestingly the the Manchester United versus Villarreal game because of the context of their group seems to be the more interesting tie but definitely when it comes to Chelsea I don't think they'll be too fussed whether they go through in top or in second Marley as Joel says because they do have such quality they won the Champions League last season they weren't expected to do so. They beat Atletico Madrid. They beat Manchester City in the final. Now, with Thomas Tuchel having a few more months under his belt and Chelsea looking like firm title contenders, even in the absence of Werner and Lukaku in the last month, which hasn't really seemed to take a dent into their title contention, are they the favourites to defend the Champions League this season? Or are there other sides who you think maybe are just slightly ahead of the Blues? Uh, the, well, they're definitely in that mix. It's hard to say whether they're clear favourites um, because of Manchester City and PSG and, and Liverpool. 
Um, I think they're all they're the four like front runners, if that makes sense. I think the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona are, are nowhere near these days. Um, so I would say, yeah, the the three English teams plus PSG are the ones you've you've got to look out for because they're they're the ones with the best squads. And I think Chelsea Chelsea almost do better when they go under the radar. Um, I think if you think back to twenty. Uh, was it 2012 or 2013 when they won it under Di Matteo? I think mm, 2012. Yeah, they were, yeah, they were the they weren't fan- they were terrible. They weren't fancied <laughs> at all, were they? That's the thing. I mean, they sat the bloody manager halfway through the season. In, yeah, in- they finished sixth in the Premier League that season, and I think I remember. I seem to remember a group game against Napoli where they needed to win by three clear goals, and they won four one or something. And Branislav Ivanovic scored two goals. <laughs> and I don't know why I remember that, but I seem to. And then, of course, there was that famous game with Fernando Torres going around the goalkeeper against Barcelona in the new Camp, and uh, Gary Neville going crazy on commentary, and it almost felt like it was written in the stars for Chelsea to win the Champions League that season because they weren't the best team in the competition, but somehow they just got the job done. Yeah, I think uh, they, they do tend to thrive better when no one's really looking at them. Um, but this season, teams are looking at them and going, well, they're the, they're the champions. They're going to be, you know, the ones to beat if we draw them. You know, we've got our work cut out, so we'll we'll throw everything at them and you kind of seeing that with with Juventus in the in the group stage, they got really up for that game and and managed to turn Chelsea over. Um, but it's it's just one of them where, you know, the old cliche goes: you do have to beat everyone at some point. Uh, you are going to have to run through one of the favourites. You can't go through the Champions League and win it if you're anyone else other than those four I mentioned without playing one of those four. You can't hope they knock all each other out in the in the three sort of knockout rounds before the final. So. It's uh, it's it's one of them where Chelsea have got to deal with that pressure now, and they're coming at the Champions League from from a different angle. And you've seen that uh, over the years when no one except Real Madrid have managed to defend the title because it's a different type of pressure and a different type of uh, of challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think an English side has defended the Champions League in the Champions League era since 1992. Of course, teams have done it in the distant past. Liverpool quite famously did it. Uh, back-to-back on the bounce in um, the 80s. And I think, did Nottingham Forest do it as well, back-to-back in the late 70s as well? I'm not 100%, but in the Champions League era, for sure, it's never been done by an English side. So certainly Chelsea looking to make history there. They take on Juventus tonight in their Champions League group stage game. That will do us for the European scene. We're going to switch to the international scene next here on Football Social Daily. England manager Gareth Southgate has signed a new contract. We'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Niall, Joel Tudor, Marley Anderson alongside me. We're going to talk England now, even though the international break is done. Don't fear, we won't be talking about England smashing San Marino or Albania or anything like that. It's more of a managerial discussion. Seems to have been a running theme throughout the last few weeks here on Football Social Daily. There's been so many changes of management, but England and in their situation... It seems like Gareth Southgate is the man for the job and the man to stay for a long time yet. He's signed a new deal with the national team until December 2024. He was due to see out the end of his contract after the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, which of course is a little over a year away now until that tournament. So Southgate signs a new deal. The news was announced yesterday. Joel, he's got an England close to success in the last two tournaments, reached the semi-finals of the 2018 World Cup in Russia, reached the final of the European Championships that was played this summer, just gone, losing out on penalties to Italy in the end. Do you think this contract extension is deserved? Well, the key word you mentioned is close, close but no cigar. I mean, I don't want to be looking at the next <laughs> thing when I'm like 55 and looking at highlight reels from 2020 of the penalty shootout we nearly won, like we did in the night was it 90 Euro 96. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the time is now for Southgate. Don't get me wrong, he's he's done probably the best job an English manager has done in over 30 years and probably longer than that, to be honest. The way he's kind of galvanised the whole English nation, I would say, um, where everyone actually likes to 
play for England, it seems. There's no clicks, as Rio Ferdinand kept alluding to, where, you know, when Gerrard's Liverpool boys went to the England side and then you had John Terry and Lampard and they'd all sit on their own tables. And when you look at, like, the Spanish squad and the Italian squad, they're all a family. They put all of the rivalries to the side and that's why they're so successful. And I think we're kind of seeing the, the results of that, which is that they're a collective when they play for England. They're all friends. They all came up through the same... Uh, youth systems and under 17s and 18s they all know each other really well um, and I think that's reflected really well in the squad I mean of course they got to the semi-finals of the World Cup I think the route was very very favourable you can't deny it but take nothing away from it because winning World Cup matches is is still really difficult to do but when they face the better sides they did get turned over which I mean, it, it kind of shows a lot, in my opinion. Obviously, in the Euros, I think that's where things started to turn in terms of mentally. I think the key game in that tournament was the Germany game, just because, as we know, with the history of the two national sides in football, um, I feel like it was just a mental barrier that was broken during that game. Um, I agree. That was my favourite game of the yeah, Euros. Was, Better was, than the yeah. semi-final against think, Denmark. Yeah, I think Better so than too. the final against Italy. It's just because of how how much Germany have just kind of had a, a bit of a puppeteer effect on England <laughs> since since so many different um, tournaments. And I think it was a huge barrier that Southgate broke down during that, that game. Um, but like I said, I, th- I feel as though the contract is deserved. Um, I wasn't a fan of the way he treated Mason Greenwood in the aftermath of that kind of Iceland debacle, which has kind of made me turn a little bit sour on him a little bit. Um, But I think considering the fact he's got to the semis, then the finals, that's progress. The next step now is to win. And if he doesn't win, sure, you can have this kind of mentality of, yeah, he got to a semis, he got to a final, but I'd ask you to go and ask any other nation ask a German, ask a Spanish person, ask an Italian person whether they think a semi-final represents success for them and they will probably say no because all that matters is getting that star on the chest again or getting another European title. And for me, Southgate cannot waste this opportunity of having probably the most talented national team, I would argue, out of any other national side. Um, and it's testament, it's proven, I mean, look how many English sides have got to the Champions League finals with English players at the core. It's the best era, I think, since probably 2010s, I would say. So are you saying that you don't think he deserves the contract extension? It would have ran out after the next World Cup, which, as I say, is only about a year away now, but he's extended for a further couple of years. So do you, are you saying, in your opinion, you think it would have been better for the FA to wait until after that no World no Cup? no I, no I think he definitely deserves it because he's on he's 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 on a good journey with the English side like I said he's he's had progress every single tournament which can't be understated but I think this next tournament is a I think it's the pivot it's it's the pinnacle it's the top it's the it's the tournament where everything should come together mm. in terms of the for example you know the World Cup that was a a big obstacle broken in terms of winning penalty shootouts, getting past the group stages, which we seem to not be able to do in the last 10 years. Then obviously the European final, which was the first one ever. Now he needs to cross the line. And I don't think there's any excuses. I don't think you can hide behind the fact that, you know, I feel like England has this kind of defeatist mentality of we're always the underdog. Going into this next World Cup, we're probably one of the top two, three favourites. And that's testament to how well they've done in the last two tournaments. And I think anything other than getting to the semi-finals or the finals is failure. Or in my opinion, not winning the thing is failure. I don't fancy England to get beyond the quarters, to be honest, Joel. I think it's just going to be one of those tournaments where England are just not going to be able to do it. How come? You know, like the 2010 World Cup where, you know, it was slog against Algeria in the group game and it was just difficult to... But on what basis? Like, what, what reason? I just I just get that feeling. I just, I, again, I know we've had two tournaments where England have got to the semi-finals and the final, but I still feel that, I don't know whether it's ingrained in me, and that enthusiasm of being a younger England fan has been sapped away due to tournament failures. But I just, I can't see how England can get to the semi-finals, the final and the semi-finals or further again in three successive tournaments. I just, I just don't see how it's, how it's possible because that would be, you know, over a four year period. Yeah, I understand that's quite a good time frame in terms of keeping a crop of players together, but I just don't fancy it. I mean, it's hard to put a finger on why. I mean, maybe in a year's time, I might be bang up for it and, and think that England are a shoe in. But I just, at the moment, I just, 
I just fancy something to unravel, something to crumble. It, it sometimes feels like that happens in management in when general. You pass, yeah, sometimes you need to pass the baton over, you know, when you feel like it's time. But like I said, if you're making progress to two tournaments in a row, surely the final piece of the puzzle now is to win something. And th that squad mm -hmm. has got better and better. If you compare the 2018 squad to yeah. the one that's going to be going next year, it's miles better, the 2022 one, I mean. Mm. Like, you had, like, Eric Dyer and yeah. that kind of players But, I mean, it, it's a weird one with international management, though, because you can't give Southgate credit for the squad being better. You know, that's not something that's he can true. control. He can't sign players for England. It's just whoever comes through, comes through. And, you know, he needs to make the most... Uh, with the tools he's got to do as best a job as possible. I think it's interesting this conversation in general about Gareth Southgate Marley because as we say he's got an England to a final of which they lost out on penalties the first one since the World Cup in 1966 which is an incredible achievement in itself. Semi-finals of the World Cup which arguably we should have done better against Croatia I think we should have done and yet we're still talking about Sarah Gareth Southgate with a degree of criticism. Do you think he is over-criticised for the job he's done as England manager. I Yeah, I, I think he gets a lot of unnecessary stick. Um, but it does just come from fan bases who, oh, you didn't pick my player, so, you know, what's he doing and what's he ever done in his career and stuff like that. But I think he's he's been the right man at the right time for England um, over the years. We're, we're starting to see with international management a sort of swing towards um, almost like company men. Uh, you see it with Germany with uh, with uh, Yogi Lowe and then uh, Hansi Flick taking over from him like they're not massively decorated club managers but they are sort of um in their case DFB men like they are from the German FA they are those they, they know everything about the the underage groups they've worked their way up the coaching how it how the whole thing works and I think we've got that with Southgate as well um and it's also coincided with this England team being as better, well, being better than any England team I can ever remember, getting to getting to the semis of the uh, of the World Cup, uh, getting to the final of the Euros, getting to the last four of the Nations League. Um, they, this is this is a, a step forward for for England, and Southgate has has been central to that. Whether you like him or not, whether he's picked your player or not. He's he's done some things which I don't necessarily agree with. Um I thought he could have handled the Greenwood situation better like like Joel mentioned before. Um but on the pitch it's been it's been good. Um you can't guarantee that another manager would have done better and, and turned those semis and finals into wins. Um we'll never know that. So I think with 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 this four year well three year extension, I think it, it just gives him a bit of security. He knows that not everything's hinging on on the Qatar World Cup because a lot of the time when you see managers going into tournaments and the contracts up just after it, you almost expect them to leave and it can can leave like a a cloud over over that tournament in itself because you never know what the manager's going to do after it. So I think it's right to give him a, a longer contract so the pressure from that angle is off when we go to Qatar in uh, a year's time. So I think uh, England has done the right thing here. Um, a couple of years ago, Southgate was linked with the Manchester United job, funnily enough. He's also been linked with a return to the Premier League in recent weeks after the change of the managerial guard at a number of clubs, Marley. Is he the sort of manager you could see back in the Premier League in future? Of course, he had a little dabble as Middlesbrough player manager and then I think permanent manager way, way ago in like 15 years ago. So do you think that maybe after his England stint is done, whether that's after the World Cup or when his contract ends now in 2024, do you think that we could see him back in the Premier League at some point? Yeah, I think if you leave England in the future, the the only place you really go is the Premier League. Like, well, unless you just don't fancy coaching anymore and you, you think, that's it, I've peaked, I'm retiring. But I think, um, you know, you're not going to take a... Uh, you're probably not going to get offered a foreign job um, you're probably not going to take a championship job, are you? So I think whoever's around at the time he decides to leave, if whatever job's available, he'll be linked with it and he'll ultimately probably take it because, you know, where else would he go if once you leave England? You know, you either carry on with your career in the Premier League or you, uh, or you don't uh, coach anymore. So, yes, he hasn't done great. With his uh, with his spell at Middlesbrough, but that was a long time ago. He's a very different manager, very different man now. Um, 
and you know all the rest of the stuff that goes into that as well like how much he's progressed and shaped his his career so um i feel like he'll get that opportunity whether he will succeed or not i've got no idea how could you even ask that we don't even know when this is going to be so we don't know um but if he if he did coach again it would probably be in the premier league so we'll we'll see who's available when that uh, bridge is, is there to be crossed. Well, Gareth Southgate has signed a contract extension with England running until December 2024. We might well see him in the Premier League in future, but for now his focus is very firmly with the three Lions. And so concludes today's Football Social Daily, which feels like we've spoken about managers for the 18th podcast in a row, but it probably has been <laughs> due because uh, the amount of changes we've seen, whether that be contracts being signed as in Gareth Southgate's case or changes of the guard as we've seen at Old Trafford. Um, It's certainly been lively in the Premier League and you can keep bang up to date with this podcast as we'll cover off all the big news in the English top flight every single day in podcast form for you. So just hit subscribe or follow or whatever it is on whichever platform you use. Wherever you got this podcast, you'll be able to find the rest of them and get a notification direct to your inbox the next time a new episode is released if you do hit that subscribe button, as I say. Marley, Joel, thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Don't forget to head to the website, sport-social.co.uk and check out that Sport Social Podcast Network. But for now on Football Social Daily, we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.